Welcome to episode 54 of Generation Red, the kettle corn of Husker Fan Podcast, where we try to be sweet, but at times we get salty. I am your host, Ken. And I am your host, Scott. That's right. And we're not the only ones that were salty. Nebraska was quite salty when it counted Friday night, and they eked out a 14-13 to win over a very physical Rutgers team. With the win, the Huskers handed the Scarlet Knights their 21st consecutive conference loss at home and won two consecutive conference games for the first time since 2018. The defense also pitched a second-half shutout for the second straight week and watched a young freshman cornerback solidify himself as a player to watch going forward. I'm not going to lie. I'm happy that I was right to pick Malcolm Hartzog as an impact recruit going into the 2021 season. Of course, I thought it would be on special teams, but that doesn't matter because I'm still right. And I'll post a link to the Big Red Roundtable segment we did in December for proof. <laughs> uh, the Huskers are now 3-3, three and three, which did we actually think that was going to happen three weeks ago? Probably not. And they're 2-1 and one in the Big Ten West. And I think last I checked the standings, it's them and Purdue. And I think two other teams are still 2-1. and one. Uh, So, yeah, as Mickey so eloquently put it at the press conference, it's uh, fake first place. <laughs> Saturday evening, we play the 4-2 and two Boilermakers. But first, we're going to look back at that rock fight there in Piscataway, including the game stats and a 1-10 to 10 rating of the offense, defense, and special teams. Then we will look forward to what it will take to beat Purdue at ross Stadium and wrap things up with fun facts. Owen, please stay tuned at the end for a merch announcement. That's right. Our merchandise, big show, maybe. Our big show's getting merchandised. <laughs> All right. So let's just have a little bit of fun and take a look back at a game that I think both you and I at the end of the first half were really wondering if here we go again was an issue. Um, why don't you go ahead and just drop the next couple of minutes, Scott, and throw out your overall impressions of what happened Friday night. All right. So... Watching the game, um, I going into the game, I was very, very nervous. And mm-hmm. maybe it was because, or maybe it was uh, heightened a little bit because I had gone to the gym earlier that afternoon and pre-workout tends to increase my levels of anxiety and my heart rate. <laughs> um, and yeah, going into that game, I was very just, I don't know what the word is. I just was very disconnected. Anxious. anxious and disconnected my wife was wanting to talk to me and i just was blowing her off and just wasn't very talkative i was just locked in onto a tv that didn't even Mm -hmm. have a game on it yet i was watching like you know whatever on on tv football (laughs) games and pregame shows and all this stuff and um and then yeah going into the first half it was just pure I don't want to say apathy. I was just disassociated. Like it was just so difficult to watch that first half of the game. It was disorienting, uh, lackluster, uncoordinated. We just looked pretty bad. We looked pretty bad. Um, aside from a few things that maybe gave you slight hope, there was there was so much that just kept going wrong. Interceptions and sacks and I mean, I can't remember what it was I saw on Twitter, but it was like the first quarter was like a bingo card of mishaps. Um, And so by going into halftime, I just 
was just very concerned and curious of like, is there anything we can do to recover from this? Cause at least in the game that we played against Indiana, I felt like we had some tangible instances that you could latch onto and be like, we have ways to win this game. But looking at Rutgers, the re- the only real tangible evidence that you had that maybe there was something salvageable from this game was the fact that it wasn't 28 to nothing going into halftime, which it very easily could have been. Um, so nothing. I didn't have anything going into halftime. I just was like, why am I still watching this game? But I've never... I very rarely ever turned off um, football games. I think the the ones that I can remember notably turning off were when I was in Japan, and it was the I think it was the last year of Mike Riley. Um, I shut off a few games, mostly because it was at two o'clock in the morning or at like <laughs> yeah. in the morning, and I was either awake too long or up too early for games that were just miserable to watch on bad Wi-Fi. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't shut it off. And then you get into the second half and we had, we had a few good things happen that obviously Mm -hmm. led to touchdowns. Let me pull this up really quick. Um, Let's go play by play close out of that. So you get, you get into Wait, what? Why do you have to do this? Yeah, so you get into this the second half and we go on a four minute we go on a four minute drive to get a to get a touchdown. And then it's punt, and then it's punt, and then it's an interception. You know, uh Rutgers throws an interception and Brandon Moore comes down with it. Third string cornerback. Like, good job, dude. Um, proud of you. Um yeah, and then he goes over the top to Trey Palmer and boom, we've got the lead. Yeah. Yep. And that's with, you know, just under nine minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So it was an absolute grind fest as, as I'm sure you've seen anybody's ever seen on Twitter. I mean, the talking point is that this is back to back second half shutouts for our defense. And mm-hmm. it was quite a surreal experience witnessing that second half. Cause yeah. Even when we got that Trey Palmer touchdown and it, when we were up 14 to 13, I was like, there's still nine minutes left in this game. And, <laughs> yeah. and it's not like Purdue didn't look good in the first half offensively. So I was just waiting for them to finally get some mm-hmm. rhythm again and go down and score. And maybe it right. becomes a, you know, a final eight minute shootout between the two of us, but it just, Never it materialized. Just, never materialized. It just turned into grind out. Let's let's do mm-hmm. a what is it? Five minutes. Yeah. Almost a six point. minute drive. Yeah. Yeah. Five. Oh, yeah. Eat the clock. Oh. Yeah. Eat the clock off, and then we win the game. And mm-hmm. did not see it coming. Did not expect it. Did not. It was not anywhere on my radar going into halftime that we were going to somehow pull off this win. There wasn't mm-hmm. anything tangible to grab onto that made me think that that was what we were going to do. And my God, am I so happy that that actually happened because it's been a very, 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 very long time that I have had that sinking feeling that there is no way that we're going to win this game. 
and then we right. somehow pull it off and win. I can't even remember the last time that I've had that feeling and have it be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was amazing. Good job, Bill Bush, on your defensive schemes in the second half, shutting out the Scarlet Knights. And props to our offense for getting, getting just what enough. they needed to do. They did exactly yeah. enough. Um, so those are my those are my overall thoughts. And then uh, props, major props, Malcolm Hartzog um, for securing that. I mean, it was the easiest interception that you could possibly make. It was thrown directly to him, but nothing mm-hmm. in Nebraska's past would tell me that. <laughs> It would be easy that it would be easy <laughs> or caught. And it was like he caught the interception and then we fumbled our victory formation and yeah. fell on it. So those are two like bad omens that, that we would have somehow found a way to for bad, for lack of a better term, fumble. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't do it. Malcolm brought brought down the interception, dropped to the deck immediately. Because another yep. thing I would have I would have expected to see was, oh, let's run back and get a pick six, and then boom, you you get you fumble the ball stripped, and and now they go and do something with it. Anyway, yep. that's my overall thoughts of the game. Props to the boys. I think that some black shirts black shirts are definitely in are going to be presented to some of those guys on the defense because they've definitely earned it at this point. And go big red. What are yeah. your overall thoughts, um, Dad? I was I felt the same way you did uh, the first half. I wasn't despondent to the point of thinking there was no way we were going to win because we saw what you know they went right down the field on their first drive and scored. Boom! And then guess what we did on defense? We did exactly what everybody else has done to us this year when we've gone right down and scored in the first quarter. We stopped them. They didn't get nothing. They got a blocked punt that we returned for a touchdown last week this week uh was it miles yeah. farmer made the t- touchdown saving tackle and then we yes. shut him down i forgot about that three. held I him forgot to three. about that so that defense clamped down early in the game absolutely early in the game held him to 13 points as you said though it could easily have been 28 points or or less or just a little less but they didn't they didn't but they didn't break they didn't bend um it was great to see him stay aggressive. And then, of course, they come out in the second half. So that was three straight. I No, no, Rutgers did score three in the second quarter, didn't they? So I was going to say it was three straight shutout quarters, but it wasn't. Um, I was disgusted in many ways by the offense in the first half. Bad offensive line, plus Whipple's insistence to run this hurry-up offense crap. Uh, equaled an awful lot of punts, and Bushini was good. Thank God. Um then we had the block punt, but the D shut him down. The D was really bad on the first drive for Rutgers, but uh, holy smokes, they were lights out in the second half. It reminded me of that Michigan State game, you know, mm. uh, where they, I mean, that was even better because they didn't even get a first down in the second half. Um, we scored on our first drive, which was weird because usually we do that on the first drive of the game, not the first drive of the second half. Uh, yep. and of course, Casey was big time when it mattered, when he needed to make those big throws and take advantage of things that happened that swung momentum. He did it uh, in spite of basically getting living daylights kicked out of him for four quarters. Um, and yeah, once we got the lead with almost nine minutes left to go in the game, that D was crazy good. Um, and of course, Hartzog sealing it up, sealing it with an interception to win, to win the game. And 
for me, this was a confidence builder. Yeah, you couldn't have played much worse of a first half on offense and on offensive line. Uh, but you know one thing, this defense is going to come to play, and they're going to need to next week. But for me, the real drawback was there was way too many penalties, and there were still quite a few missed tackles. I haven't found a stat yet on how many tackles were missed, but it was more than last week. So that's pretty much my overall impressions. Why don't we take a look at the uh, stats for the game? Let's do it. Um, so – Let's see. Rutgers beat us on most of the important ones. <laughs> Total yards, 348 to 304, uh, rushing 115 to 72, and uh, 233 to 232 in passing. But we had 18 first downs to their 14. We were 4 of 15 on third down. We won the time of possession by just over three minutes. Had nine penalties for 67 yards versus their nine for 97. And they had three turnovers in that second half, whereas we only had two for the game. So um, some pretty decent stats. That's a situation where the stats really don't tell the whole story. You know, I mean, by everything you look at, you would think, oh, shoot, Rutgers got this. This would have been a close win for Rutgers with that low offensive output for both teams. But then you look at the very last stat and you see why we won thought that third turnover, who knows, you know, one of those three ended up leading directly to a touchdown. So um, anyway, any thoughts on the stats, anything run through your mind that grabbed your attention? Well, the thing that immediately grabbed my attention, um, somebody tweet at me um, the last time that we, I'm, I'm sure it's happened. I'm really sure it's happened, but I mean, this was a, this was one of those games that, from a yardage, total yardage standpoint, we fell short, but we found a way to win. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's something that Frost had done previously in a, in a bunch of games. Um, but it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, and so that was something that that kind of stood out to me was that, yeah, I mean, it was only 44 less yards than Rutgers, but it's still a deficit, a yardage mm-hmm. deficit that some, like I said, you know, there should have been 20, 28 points up on the board for Rutgers and our defense really, really clamped down when it was necessary in that first half. And then especially yep. in the second half, yep. um, but across those stat lines, yes, penalties. It, I mean, I saw it on Twitter, you know, it, it was a, it was an egregiously re, uh, officiated game and for both teams, for <laughs> yeah, both teams. And it's been like that. Even with Indiana, it was egregiously officiated for both teams. Um, it's not some sort of exclusive conspiracy right. against uh, against the Cornhuskers. Granted, there are some definitely conspiratorial stat lines that you can look at specifically in the holding column of things. Um, but both of us had nine penalties, and both Rutgers yeah. Twitter and Nebraska Twitter were just up in arms about how bad the officiating was including me <laughs> oh yeah including my i mean including myself you know it was just like are you serious how in the world was oh what was it i mean I'm, i just i just am gonna complain about something really quick um the commentators on tv were so bad just 
awful. Like, I mean, even when Trey Palmer got that, got that fourth quarter touchdown, it was like they were held at gunpoint to react to it. It was like yeah. the pat, the ball is up in the air. Trey Palmer catches it. Touchdown, Trey Palmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anytime <laughs> Rutgers did anything, anything at all, it was like, yep. look how good this team is. Look how well that Greg Shiano was putting together this team. It is so amazing. And I don't think that there was any particular bias that they had for some reason that they just loved the Rutgers. It just, mm-hmm. it just really was annoying. It was probably one of the most annoying TV broadcasts I've heard in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's so that's just my mm-hmm. petty complaint more than anything. That was a little bit off off track there. I just was mad sure. about it. No, it you're was, fine. <laughs> not only was it a bad game, but then I just was it was piled well, on top of bad commentary. Considering first half Rutgers uh put 263 yards up on the on the defense. That's a lot of yards on pace to obviously exceed four, maybe even 500 yards the way they were playing in the first half. But they only came out with 13 points because when it mattered, they stopped them. Uh, but then they held them to 85 in the second. That's the story of the game. 85, 85 yards in the second half for Rutgers, no points. And Nebraska, meanwhile, I think probably churned out a couple of hundred in the second half or just short of it. So I didn't really look at that stat too closely, but it seemed like we were doing better, especially that first drive. So, um, that you know, you did mention Trey Palmer, and because you did, let's talk about our game record of the week, which we both have Trey Palmer, uh, four receptions, 64 yards, one touchdown. I think he had a rushing attempt too that didn't go very well, <laughs> unless that was Brown. I don't remember for sure, but I think he did. I didn't even mention it because it was horrible, uh, horrible play call on fourth and one or whatever the hell it was. Oh, yeah, was yeah Trey Palmer, definitely my game record of the week. Or breaker of the week. Game breaker. Yeah, I was going to correct you on that. Game breaker. Um, yeah, no, I think there's there wasn't much to really look on our offense as a potential game breaker other than the fact that, yeah, Trey Palmer, the standout part, is that if it weren't for that fly route that he just ran straight down the field to the end zone yeah. and and uh, uh, Casey Thompson dropping a dime right on top of him if it wasn't for – his speed, his breakaway speed. I don't know if we win that game. Um, So yeah, Trey Palmer, even though he only had 64 yards with four receptions, one of them was a touchdown and a touchdown that won the game. So props to him. And then also props to, uh, you know, Travis Mm -hmm. Vogelek. I thought it was really interesting that aside from the Trey Palmer touchdown, Prior to that, the only two touchdowns scored in that game were from opposing transfers. Noah Vedral, who transferred from Nebraska to Rutgers, mm-hmm. got that touchdown, and then Travis Volkolek from Rutgers to Nebraska got the touchdown. I just thought that was that yeah. was kind of funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we get some outsider from uh, LSU who comes in with our associate <laughs> or our interim head coach. So yeah. you know, read into the stars as much as you want, but that was pretty cool. Yep, um, yep that's so that's awesome. I agree. Trey yep, Palmer, not, game breaker. Game breaker, absolutely. And you know what? Marcus Washington won that far behind him. I think he had just over 50, if not low 60s in receptions, too. Um, and of course, Vokalek was great with 40 some yards um, of uh, 
of reception. So that was pretty awesome. Let us move on to the guy on defense that knocked the chocolate out of people. And that's our game record of the week. And that would be for me, edge rusher Garrett Nelson, 11 total tackles, two of them solo, one and a half sacks with two tackles for loss. Sorry, I was a hit of my bank right there. Um, and I apologize if my internet's being weird right now. I see that I've got no stable connection. Um, so it I sounds great on this end. You've had no problems on this end. So, oh, goody, goody, goody. So, yes, Garrett Nelson, unanimous, just based on the stat lines. Um, I mean, he was clearly the standout statistically, um, followed shortly or closely by Nick Henrik. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, Garrett Nelson. Mm-hmm. Played and played a really great game, and I think uh, once again, O'Shawn Mathis uh, yep. had a good I, game. I, I put Malcolm Hartzog as my honorable mention, but let's put uh, let's put O'Shawn Mathis in there because he got his little fingies up there and blocked um, tipped a ball, tipped a ball, got um, in on a sack. Yep. Yes. So I mean, once again, just quiet game changer. Game in, game out. Like he really, if you really look into it, Mathis has been, has done a good job. But that's not to that's not to take away from Garrett Nelson. Garrett Nelson, God, so thankful that yeah. he has developed as he has for the Big Red. Um, would have loved to see a, uh, you know, because I, I, I think what it was, what was it? You and I both had like our preseason prediction for him and Mathis to have like. Double-digit sacks each. Yeah. Yeah, 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 something like that. He might be on track for that, but some of these we'll offenses, see. we'll see. Only gets, um, yeah. But yes, my honorable mention is Malcolm Hartzog because he, like I said previously, he secured the W with that easy pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, honorable mentions would be for sure O'Shawn Mathis and Malcolm Hartzog. Thank you, boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you look, if you look back at, uh, there was a highlight they showed, and I know it's not Rutgers, it's from the Indiana game. But that sack that Ty Robinson got, I couldn't see it on the field. But when I went back and looked at one of the highlights, the reason Robinson got so free and got to the quarterback so quick was because Mathis recognized it was a screen and yep. backed up, backed up and sat right in that spot where that screen was going to go. The quarterback had no choice but to get hit. So uh, he's been yep. quietly playing very, very good football and really good football since uh, Bill Bush has taken the reins. So I look for him to really turn it up. Uh, for the rest of the season. So we've got game record of the week down. Let's take a look at our ratings. Uh, this is a scale of one to 10 folks. We don't do the whole four star uh, or any of that kind of stuff. We just like to take a look at things from a one to 10 rating. And I've got the offense rated at a five, namely because of all the sacks on Casey, um, Casey Thompson, the two interceptions by Thompson, the, the literal lack of an offensive line. Uh, when even Anthony Grant can't find room, who you're having a bad day up front. So um, offense for me was a five. Um, excuse me. Good I'm one. So sorry. Um, so yeah, I've got I've got the offense at a five as well. Um, it was an underwhelming game to witness. Aside from a few, uh, you know, dink and dunks here and there. Uh, you know, going into the game, Rutgers had an 18th ranked national uh, defense, and I was questioning whether or not that was legitimate or not. Uh, 
I I think it's legitimate, but we will wait and see. Um, because I mean, did Rutgers was it Rutgers that let? Who am I thinking of? Give me a second. I apologize. Yeah, it was Rutgers that somehow allowed Iowa to score twenty-seven points on them, which is pretty insane. Um, so that alone makes me think that maybe their defense is a little bit overrated. So me giving us a, a five rating might actually be a little bit um like generous. Um but yeah, I'm just gonna give it a five and leave it at that. Oh, you uh your microphone cut out there, big buddy. Um while you Oops, I, I you muted go. myself. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> uh hey, there's this mute button in StreamYard that let me lets me mute the mic so you don't have to hear my ice tinkle in my class while I drink. So nice. Uh, <laughs> uh go ahead. What's well, your uh, defense? Go ahead on your defense rating. Well, I just wanted to read this from uh, Rich Finnigsmeyer. I am so sorry, dude. You've got an alphabet and last name. I apologize um, for the uh, bad enunciation of that. But yes, he makes a good point. He, he says offensive line is a liability to this team. Pass pro is bad. Don't know if that can be improved this year. I agree with you, Rich. I agree with you. Um, I think that's really what brings our offense down so egregiously. I think we would be a much more efficient offense and we could give our offense a much better rating if Casey Thompson had just one more second to make decisions and go through his progressions. So you are right on the money there. And I like I was talking with uh, his name is Geo. He's he's got a Twitter account named uh, What Does the Film Say? And I was in a in a Twitter Spaces with him post post game. And my thought was the only way our offense gets better is if we play with our weaknesses, and we've got to figure out a way to somehow mask our offenses off offenses bad offensive line. Um, Obviously, the cat is out of the bag. We've got a bad offensive line. But there has to be some scheme that we can do with that line that that somehow makes it useful at times. It's not like it's going to be a consistently good thing, but um, we'll get into that. We'll get into that when we start to to break down or preview Purdue because I'll go into that a little bit more. I just don't want to be... Um, I just don't want to be uh, a <laughs> double double down. Yep. There you uh, go. Finnigsmeyer. Fin- yep. Fin- you pronounced it correctly. Finnigsmeyer. So. Hmm. Yep. He said All right. He well, it correctly. That's good. That's good. We're working on it. We're working on. It. Appreciate it, Rich. <laughs> uh, so now that we've cool gone that, gone that, yeah, absolutely. That's pretty cool. Go ahead with your uh, rating on the defense, boss. All right, so I gave it a seven, and my reasoning behind that is, yes, our defense did what they needed to do when they were supposed to do it. Um, My deduction on that is that out of the conference, Rutgers is the 13th-ranked offense, and clearly they just fired. Didn't they just fire their offensive coordinator or something like that? I don't Um, know. I that think I so. I think I just saw that on Twitter that um, that Greg Schiano fired his offensive coordinator. Um, 
So clearly they were struggling on their offense. And I mean, did we keep them 13 points? Yes. Um, But man, once we start playing against like these Michigans and obviously up next week, uh, we're playing against Purdue Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, uh, yeah, no, I'm not, not even going to go down that road, but, um, yeah, still have some things that I would like to see out of our defense, but I think a seven is a fair rating. I think a seven out of a 10 is a fair rating for that matchup specifically. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a fair rating. I'm just a little bit higher. I've got it at a seven and a half, uh, namely on the back of three key interceptions in the second half that, uh, made it possible for, Rutgers to not be able to salt that game away by eating up the clock. So uh, I gave the defense a seven and a half, especially that defensive line. They were great all game long. Uh, Colton Feast had a big play. Mathis had a sack. Garrett had one and a half. Um, Shoot, a seven and a half for me on the defense. And like you said, maybe there's a few dudes that's got some black shirts hanging in their locker uh, come Monday. I don't think so. I think they need to prove themselves against an offense that has a pulse. And they'll, mm, they'll, there's fair. a pulse in uh, West Lafayette for sure. So that'll be what I'll be looking for. And then as far as special teams, I gave it a straight-up six. I thought Bushini was great. Uh, it would have been a higher number had um, had he not gotten one blocked. And considering he was limping around on that left foot after getting that punt blocked, uh, I thought he played well for the rest of the game. Returns were basically non-existent again. But we had pretty good blocking. We had pretty good coverage. Crookshank never got free. Thank you, sweet Lord Jesus. Crookshank never got free. Um, so there we go. Six. Yeah, and I've got a six as well. Um, nothing to really stand out that makes you go, wow. Um, like you said, we didn't have any returnable punts or kickoffs um, that really made it worth our while. For good reason mm-hmm. is if I remember correctly, I think that Rutgers punter is like a team captain or something like that. Like, um, so, I mean, you don't, you don't become a team captain as a punter very often. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, yeah, but no, you're not, it was, it was slightly above average. They didn't do anything necessarily to screw it up. Um, aside from, like you said, we got a blocked punt there. Um, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if that block punt wouldn't have happened, I would have given it a six and a half or a seven, but since it did, you know, sure. like step up your game guys. And I was afraid yeah. that was going to happen again throughout <laughs> the game and they, and it didn't. So yeah, that, that gives my, gets my overall at, at, at a six, that, straight up mean, six. I'm at a 6.16. So, you know, it, it should have been, should have been higher. We should have beat them by more, but Hey, that's pretty, pretty good Rutgers defense. And, Considering we get, went into the game ranked damn near last in every single category still in the Big 12, we did improve our uh, overall defensive standings a little bit coming out of there. So that's a good thing, too. So that leads me to a question. Mickey Joseph is now 2-1 and one as a head coach. I know a lot of players out there, former players, are already saying, why are we still looking? This guy's getting it done. Blah, 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 blah. And with Trev being a former player, he's probably going to give a little bit of credence to what some of his former uh, Husker mates are saying about Mickey. So let's take a look at this and discuss, do you think if Mickey keeps winning, let's say five and seven is the minimum he can accomplish, 
or if by some freaking miracle he manages to beat somebody in November and he goes six and six or even God forbid seven and five. Does this make Trev's head coach hire a more difficult decision or an easier one? Go ahead. Um, so I think it's, I think it's, I think those two things can be true at once that it makes mm-hmm. certain aspects more difficult and makes certain aspects more easy. Um, cause I think, yeah, I think, I think it makes his decision all around easier. If these last six games, he goes four and two. Cause that puts us at seven and five. And that means we're having to beat out of these four teams. We're having to actually out of these six teams, somehow we only lose to two of them. One, I'm just going to say a gimme and say that we lose against Michigan. So that means that somehow we find a way to win against uh, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Purdue, Illinois, all of those teams, aside from, I think, I think Iowa's at its, at its worst point. It's been in a while, even with their defense being as good as it's been. Uh, Just lost nine to six to freaking Illinois. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) it's none of those are easy games at all. And so if you win, if you go, yeah, if you, if you go six, you know, whatever, uh, I was trying to think of the numbers in my mind out of a, a thousand scale. Um, if you win four of those, like I think that makes Trev's job easy and say, we've got to keep this guy around because he's done something that Scott wasn't able to do in the four years that he was here. And he did it yeah. with the guys that Scott brought here. Um, that, and yeah, I mean, the, I think that's a, brilliant point uh not only the guys he brought here as coaches who up to this point really performed at a group of five level and now they're performing kind of at a decent power five level especially on that defensive side but not only is he doing it with those coaches he's doing it with the players which kudos to scott frost he did recruit some high character high motivation willing to be coached players and they're accepting coaching and they're getting better Just wish the offensive line would figure it out. Yeah. (laughs) But I I agree with you. I think it does in some way make it easier for Treb to say yes to Mickey. But at the same time, that is a gut instinct decision. Now, if he goes eight and four or nine and three, God forbid, or not God forbid, but holy cow, if he runs off six in a row, that makes the decision extremely simple. And you you don't mess with it. You don't mess no. with it at all. Six and six and seven and five might give him a little bit of pause, but he knows he's got the talent there that if he brings in the right head coach that's willing to keep Mickey on board, uh, seven and five, eight and four, and even nine and three could be easy to accomplish sooner rather than later. But take a gamble on Mickey if he goes seven and five. That's my feeling. I'd like to take a gamble on Mickey if he goes seven and five. Give him a year or two. Just say here. We're going to go year to year. We'll give you one contract. We'll load it up with incentives at the end of the season, and we'll take a look at where we're at. I mean, yeah. that's not normal, but I bet Mickey would be about it. And I anyway. think we're, I think where it makes it hard, where I would say it makes it objectively hard for Trev Alberts to make a decision is if we go six and six, 
Yes. And we have one or two more blowout losses. Like, let's just say we get blown out by Michigan and we get blown out by, I'd say, Purdue. If we get blown out by those two teams, mm-hmm. we keep it close and we win one of, you know, we win three of those games and we go six and six. That becomes a really difficult decision because you go yeah. bowling and let's say he goes and he wins a bowl game. Um, now we're seven and six. Um, I'm, I mean, we probably wouldn't even be to a bowl game before Trev would have to make that decision. Um, that's when it gets really hard because there's so much nuance with that. There's, there's still some questions that have left to be answered and you have an interim head coach who has never taken Mm -hmm. the CEO position of a team before. Um, and what do you do? What do you do? Do you just roll the dice on that? I mean, my gut might, like you said, I think a good, a good explanation of it is, is it a gut like decision? Yeah. That w- my gut decision would be just keep the guy around. You know, there is no, there is no, I hate to say it because it's such a damned comment to say, but like, I mean, can we really get worse with Mickey Joseph? Um <laughs> like (laughs) it's the same comment we've been making on this podcast numerous times over the last Uh year and a half. So right. Can it really? I don't think so. I think it's trending the right way right now. But like you said, we've got games up ahead that are going to reveal really where Bill Bush is at, at designing a game plan on defense is, is this defense going to come out this next Saturday night and let, Purdue roll up on uh, 260 to 280 yards on him in the first half and 24 points. If that happens, you know, I, I just hope we can keep up with them. Yeah. I, ju- I just don't know by the numbers if we can. Uh, so yeah, that I agree with you. Six and six makes it a little difficult. Five and seven. Okay, Mickey, we'd love to have you stay here as an associate and help out the next guy. Uh, he's exactly. already got the contract to do so. And I think Mickey would be all about it. I've heard some people speculate that they don't even think Mickey wants a job. And I'm like, the hell he doesn't. He wouldn't be coaching his ass off right now if he didn't want the job. No, um, and he said cares it himself. kids too much. Yep. He said it himself so, in his, in his uh, initial press conference that like, what, yep. what am I doing here? If, if this isn't what I wanted, nobody, no coach yes, worth their salt doesn't ever. I mean, there are certain coaches, you know, like a Charlie McBride wasn't ever like thinking, man, one of these days, I hope I can be a head coach. He said himself on multiple occasions. He's like, I never wanted to be a head coach. That just wasn't something I wanted to do. There are coaches like that. Um, But Mickey isn't one of them. Yeah, Charlie wasn't built that way. He was built to be a defensive coordinator. Um, (laughs) And boy, was he a good one. Um, Yes, he was. That was a heck of a discussion. I think we both made some interesting points. I think it will be interesting to watch how this goes forward. I, I think the conversation completely changes if they walk out of West Lafayette on Saturday night with a win. I would the really, look, I really look forward to up. that. I really look forward so, to that kind of conversation yeah, if we too. somehow pull it off. Absolutely. Well, speaking of West Lafayette, I spoke, damn, how about that for a transition, huh? Perfect. I might be getting the hang of this crap. Uh, let's Flawless. preview the Boilermakers who just won their game on Saturday. I don't know if you watched the game I did while I was putting together our outline. Uh, 
but they just beat Maryland 31-29 on the road. Maryland kind of went up and down the field on them quite a bit, um, and they scored a touchdown. All they needed was a two-point conversion to tie the game, and the ref threw a flag for illegal man downfield or ineligible receiver downfield on a two-point conversion. I've never seen that flag thrown before. Uh, so to me, it seemed a little suspect, but of course, then they tried it again and they didn't get it. So uh, Maryland win or Purdue wins. Um, so they're four and two, we're three and three. And their stats are pretty comparable for the most part, though they're a little bit better um, in the passing game. But when you look at total offense, holy cow, 415.5 yards per game for Nebraska, 419.7 in total offense differences they're scoring four points a game more which mm. tells me they're a little bit more efficient but i tell you what nebraska's deadly in the red zone they haven't hardly not scored when they've gotten in the red zone so i think 15 out of 18 times they put touchdowns on the board so you know we get in their red zone we're probably going to put seven points up um they're out, they out yard us in passing by 45 yards a game and uh we are we out yard them rushing uh to the tune of about 41 yards per game. So looking how the two offenses match up, um, yeah, I could see the over-under on something like this game be in that 60 range. What do you think? I think it's I think it's honestly gonna go I think it's gonna go under. I as really? much as as much as I you know you look at Purdue and you look at their their offense and you look at our offense. Um, I don't know. I don't know if our, I don't know if our offense clicks and if, if it's, if our defense is trending the way I think it is, mm-hmm. I would be slightly, slightly more inclined to, to think that our defense is going to find ways sure. to hold them, mm-hmm. hold them back a little bit more, but I would say it's like a slight under, um, yep a slight under, I, I know it's set at like no. 57 and a half. I would say somewhere around like the 52, 53, it's not going to reflect in my score prediction. I'm a little bit more generous <laughs> with that. Um, but on a realist, on a realist standpoint, I think it would probably go slightly under. Well, that's probably not a bad pick, probably not a bad pick at all, especially when you look at, uh, well, the rankings in the big 10, um, I just rattled off some of those stats with us, uh, with them being sixth in the Big Ten in total offense. Nebraska's right behind them at seventh. So uh, I'd look for this to be an interesting game, interesting chess match between their defensive coordinator and Mark Whipple because uh, they do have the eighth-ranked total defense in the Big Ten, whereas Nebraska is still ranked dead last at 14th. The difference is instead of giving up 514 yards a game, now we're averaging 449 based on the strength of the last two defensive performances. So um, 29.3 points per game is what we're giving up, whereas they're giving up 22. So their defense is pretty solid, pretty stout, though they did just give up 29 to uh, a Maryland team. That's pretty flipping pretty flipping good. Uh, there was one play, I don't know if you saw any of the game, there was one play, a Maryland receiver caught the ball at about the 20. The Purdue defensive back grabbed him around the waist from behind, and the guy literally dragged him all the way to the end zone. So wow. I kind of look for our receivers to maybe have a pretty good day if we can give Casey Thompson any semblance of time. 
I don't know. Maybe they'll let us change the rule for one week and we can have six offensive linemen. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, on the defensive side, are there any salient thoughts that you have taking a look at the rankings side by side? Do you think we're going to have a tougher time with them than we even had with Rutgers? Because Rutgers was statistically a better defense. Yeah, I'd say that there's a little bit of a hidden kind of context as to why obviously our defense is so bad in comparison to theirs and their defense <laughs> looks so yeah you know middle of the pack you know slightly above or slightly below middle of the pack across the board one they played an egregious that Purdue played an egregious team called Indiana State the Indiana State Sycamores where they shut them out 56 to 0 um, but then they played a, a I want to say overrated because nobody's overrating Syracuse, but they let Syracuse score, you know, 32 on them. They played mm-hmm. a good Penn State. They played a good Minnesota, but Minnesota was not necessarily. I think that was the game that Ibrahim went down again. Went down. Yep. Um, and then Maryland and then Florida Atlantic, you know, I think that their defense is, not as good as their stats say they are. Um, and most any sports sure. pundit would tell you so. Um, and then on the flip side, our defense in these last two games, granted they are an anecdote against not good offenses. Our right. defense, from an eye test, they look better. They look more disciplined. Is there still things left to be desired in the tackling scheme of mm-hmm. things? Yes. Um, but I think that, I think that we're probably even, I'd say that our defenses are probably. They're playing pretty even right now. Yeah. They didn't start out even, but they're playing pretty even level, level brand of football. So I agree with you. There should be fun to watch. Well, that's the stat comparison. Why don't we take a look at what you and I both think are the keys to a victory for Nebraska on Saturday night. And why don't you kick this off? Who, what do you think needs to happen with that with this uh, team to win? Well, to continue that thought with the defensive side of things, I think the number one thing that we need to figure out, especially with Purdue's offense being a proficient, you know, proficiently coached offense is, our defense needs to find a way to be a four quarter unit. And what I mean by that is that they need to play lights out from kickoff till the clock hits zero at the end of the fourth quarter. Um, Would I like a second half defense? Mm -hmm. Yes, that would be great, but we can't give them any unnecessary lead on us. Um, Mm -hmm. So one, Defense needs to be lights out for all four quarters, which is a huge ask. Is not something that I would have even put on the list after that Oklahoma game. It wouldn't have even been a thought. It would have just been like, hopefully our offense just scores enough points to keep us in this game. At this point now, I'm thinking our defense can scrounge up some decent performances. So that's number one. Um, number two, Mark Whipple and... Um, Mickey Joseph and company need to have a come to Jesus moment with their play calling and they need to really simplify it. Like I was saying earlier, this is the thought that I wanted to talk about when it came to our offensive line. If our offensive line is not giving 
Casey Thompson enough time to make his reads based on the playbook and play calls that we're making right now, we need to change our play calls. Um, We will never claim to be X's and O's guys, but trust me, I've played at least 10 years worth of NCAA football. And there is one thing that I learned whenever I would do program rebuilds is when you play teams that are better than you, which inadvertently means that they can Mm -hmm. break down your offensive line a lot quicker than you might be used to. You have to do short dink and duck routes. You can't afford to have these routes that take lots of time to, uh, to uh, formulate. Um, So we need short slants. We need curls. We need comebacks. We need flat routes. We need screens and et cetera. Like we need just the short dink and dunk crap that Casey only needs to make a one and a half, two second read um, and go through his progressions quickly. And we need to set up our wide receivers from Mm -hmm. left to right based on proficiency. So Travis Volkolek, you need to be on the left side of Casey Thompson all the damn time. Trey Palmer, (laughs) left side of Casey Thompson all the damn time. And you better be doing curls and you better be doing out routes. You better be doing just short stuff. Get us down the field shortly. Um, That's my armchair coaching advice. I think that would give us a key to victory. And what that does is that sets us up for run plays. And Mm -hmm. it eats off a little bit more clock. Um, it, it controls sure. the game management. Yes. Are we taking a risk by throwing the ball? Yeah. But our offensive line, as far as I've been concerned, the last two games, Anthony Grant has not been as proficient, um, as a running back. And it's because of our offensive line. It's because we are getting into these big 10 slate teams. Yep. Um, so we need to find a way to utilize Casey's arm with the very little time that he's got. God hoping that he can stay healthy for the rest season, rest of the season. And I had already kind of led into this third thing is clock management. Yep. Um, we need to figure out a way to uh, slow our game pace down, chew up as much clock as possible from, from the beginning of the game to the end of the game. Um, and I think that's the only way we win the game. I, okay. Yeah. All right. All right, you and I are kind of on this, we're kind of thinking on the same same uh, wavelength here because I also my third key is slow down, you know, for the sake of not only clock management but keeping the ball away from Aiden O'Connell and company cuz Charlie Jones is carving people up right yes, now, he something is. he was never set free to do at Iowa, he's doing now. And um that dude scares me, so we need to keep the ball away from Purdue as much as possible. I think that offensive line needs to manage to figure out how we can run for a total of 150 yards. I don't care if it's 100 for Grant or 60 for Grant, a couple of 20-yard runs for Yant because he's just big and mean and nobody wants to tackle him, and then you know maybe some yards for Casey. But I think we have to run for 150 yards. But to me, the most important key is the same thing that had the same stat that we have accumulated the last two games, three sacks. Last two games, Nebraska has managed three sacks and has put the opponents in a disadvantage situation, which has really led to a really good performance on third down, too, because some of those sacks did not come on third down. So uh, three sacks run for a minimum of 150, slow down so that Um, you can't hold the ball too long and we can manage the clock. 
one one thing I wanted to point out. Um, mm-hmm. You made a you made a point that I'd thought of earlier, and I I forgot to write it down. So I'm so glad you said his name again, Charlie Jones. Charlie Jones, standout wide receiver for Purdue, was held to only 15 yards with three receptions against Maryland. Mm-hmm. Whatever Maryland did to keep him locked down in a non-factor, we need to spend at least 12 hours in the film room figuring out what the hell they did. Yes, sure. did that mean that Payne Durham got 109 yards with seven receptions? Sure. But you know what? I would rather have a tight end getting those dink and dunks than an athletic freaky fast Charlie Jones getting those yards. So um, to that, that, I just wanted to add to what you had said. And I agree wholeheartedly that yes, we've got to slow down Purdue's offense. We've got to make Charlie Jones a non-factor hundred percent. Yep. No doubt about it. Got to make that offense uh, have to really earn it and not give them a whole lot of time to hold the ball and keep the ball. So you know what? That was great. I think we both came up with some outstanding keys to victory. I think they were pretty much captain obvious. But, you know, hey, we like to talk about things like that. So That's fun. <laughs> All righty. Uh, score predictions. I'll take this real quick. I think this is a game that Nebraska keeps it close. I think they learned a little bit last week about um, making sure you're ready to play. Uh, in the first half. And you know what? Nebraska has a one-day advantage when it comes to resting up its players uh, before kickoff on fr- on Saturday night because they just played on Friday. So they got one more day to let those bumps and bruisers, bruises get some treatment. Um, one more day for Casey Thompson's shoulder to not hurt. <laughs> Hopefully they keep Anthony Grant mostly off of his feet because he looked a little bit tired on Friday night. Um, they keep it close. But unfortunately, I can't see this as a win. I think there's two late field goals by uh, Purdue that not only gives them the cover, but gives uh, hits the over. So 34-28. I think Nebraska puts 28 on the board. And I think Purdue exceeds their scoring average because this defense is still learning how to be good. And that's a really good offense. So 34-28 Purdue. All right, so... I think that's fair. I think that is obviously more statistically likely based on Vegas kind of numbers. Um, so props to you for being uh, a realist. Um, and I'm kind of in that same vein of, of it's going to be a closer game than that 11 and a half um, favorite that they've got on Purdue. But yeah, I kind of, I kind of see it the same way. Nebraska, is going to have to claw its way back in the second half. I think it's they're going to have a 10-point lead on us going into halftime, something like that, 10-11 point lead. Mm-hmm. Um and then we bring it back within, you know, 7, 6, 7 points. Um but Purdue gets one last possession. You know, it's going <laughs> to I this is my bold prediction. I think it's going to be kind of like what we saw with Rutgers where um but this time Purdue gets the ball back with like five and a half minutes left in the game. And they just slowly go down the field methodically and just grind out the clock and then victory formation. And um, yeah, I think Purdue walks away with a hard fought win 27 to 20 Boilermakers. Well, 
Aren't we just the uh, harbingers of doom? <laughs> realism, right. baby. Yeah, realism, realism, which uh, that pretty much wraps up the meat of the show, namely talking about Rutgers and Purdue. Why don't we jump into fun facts? You've got an interesting one going on. What's going on with you lately? All right, so there was uh, a thing I had said, I think it was last season, I believe, that I was back in the gym again, and then I I shortly fell off of it um, just because of some nagging back injuries that I just kind of let overcome my uh, my gym habits. And then I, I had some pretty bad seasonal depression. Um, actually, no. No, I didn't. Last year was actually a really good year. I think it was just the pain. Um, I had some serious back pain. It was um, football seasonal depression. <laughs> yes, there was that. Um, but I do remember that last winter was probably the best winter I've had in a long time um, for my seasonal depression side of things. Um, but I do remember back was hurt, kind of just took it easy after I hurt my back and just never went back to the gym. Um, but I'm tentatively back at the gym. Um, and I'm eating a lot of, a lot of food. Cause I lost a lot of weight, man. Like I am, I was down to like 142 pounds, which is less than what I weighed when I went to boot camp. Um, so that was definitely unfortunate. Um, so I'm back to eating last week. I, I was consistent and ate 35 to 4, 3,500 to 4,000 calories every day last week. Um, and yeah, you know, my, my body is breaking down, unfortunately, um, because of the injuries that I sustained while I was in the Marines. Um, and so I need to figure out a way to strengthen my body to have some resilience moving forward in my life. Um, so I'm trying it again, not going to give up just going to, I mean, if I do give up, I will just try and give up less often, I guess. Um, but so yeah, fun fact is I'm back in the gym and I've got a good recipe for you guys. Maybe I can have my dad, uh, put this in the, uh, the episode description. If any of you skinny boys are out there, um, trying to gain some weight, um, delicious shake that I have made recently. It's not my creation. It's it's a YouTuber that I watch who is also a skinny guy like me, and he created this thousand calorie shake that is absolutely phenomenal, delicious. It's not like gross and gritty. I mean, aside from the oats, if you're a texture guy, you can get rid of the oats and you'll get rid of 230 calories um, if if you don't like the texture of oats. But yeah, you know, I've got a recipe for it. I'll just name it off really quick. I won't tell you the calorie counts for each thing. Um, that can be in the description, but you just add a, uh, you know, six to eight cubes of ice, two and a half scoops of ice cream, fourth cup of oats, 16 ounces of whole milk. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm lactose intolerant. So I get the lactose free milk, but, um, 16 ounces of whole, of whole milk, a cup of mixed berries, one banana. And then this is the key, the kicker right here. You do a scoop and a half of strawberry flavored protein powder. Um, right now, I'm just doing whey protein powder, but eventually I'll get the uh, the mass gainer, and that'll actually add a lot more calories. But yeah, it sits at right at a, right over a thousand calories for that. Comes with tons of protein, fats, potassium, carbs, and it's just filled with all around good nutrients um, and makes gaining healthy weight easier. 
drinking a thousand calories is way easier than eating it. I can say that much for sure. Um, but yeah, that's just a fun fact about me. I'm really loving this, this shake. I have one in the morning after breakfast and then I have one after a workout. And so that's 2000 calories right there. Um, and then I just have to fill the rest with meals, which is super easy when I'm just eating noodles and chicken and ground beef and all that shit. So, um, anyway, positive vibes only dad, your mic is muted again. Yep. I was oh, there you go. So that you I did it on uh, purpose. You yes, tricked me. That way, when I lean back in the chair, you don't hear the squeak. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a very squeaky boy. <laughs> or drink water, you know, all that good stuff. Um, well, my fun fact is I'm getting into photography. I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the pod before, but this is a new, I think I've mentioned the digital camera I'm using now as a webcam. And this is a brand new 16 millimeter lens I just bought. Um, using, planning to just use it mostly for streaming and some landscape stuff because uh, it's a wide angle, so it's really cool. I don't know why it's doing this wobble thing tonight. Maybe it's because I'm bumping the table, but um, I used a 50-millimeter portrait lens two weeks ago when we did our Husker, uh, appreciate, Husker Podcast Appreciation Week collaboration. Say that 12 times fast. Um, and it just was, it was a great lens. Looked awesome, but, you know, the camera had to be clear across the room. <laughs> so that's just not, not too conducive for doing this. So I got the 16 millimeter. We ended up back East uh, this week on Monday. I got, I was able to get, pick up a trailer on Tuesday afternoon that went to Connecticut. So this is exactly the perfect time of year to go up to the Northeast because all the leaves are turning and uh, oh, the reds so and the yellows and the oranges and all the stuff that I got to see. And then we got to, after we delivered there, we did the, if any of you are like me, I'm a complete nut job for the TV show, The Office. So <laughs> on our way back from, <clears throat> excuse me, for on the way back from Connecticut, we stopped in uh, Scranton and did some of the walking tour. So we saw the Scranton, welcome to Scranton sign that used to show up on the credits of the show, opening credits of the show. Then we went to the city hall where there was a replica of a Dundee award. So we took a picture next to that and <laughs> all that nerd stuff that us old folk like to do. And then your mom took a spill off of the steps walking out of the city hall. So she's got a, a rather sore ankle. So we couldn't complete the rest of the walking tour. Otherwise we'd have gone to Alfredo's pizza cafe because those are, it's much better quality pizza based on ingredients and overall taste, according to Oscar. So, um, and then we went to my cousin's house in uh, Northeastern PA. They have a beautiful hundred acre property with lots of the maple trees and stuff with all the colors. So this is, um, this is a few of the pictures that I took, uh, fairly low light. The sun was already down. So I really increased for all of you photo nerds out there like me. Uh, what I, my settings on my camera in that lower left corner of each of the photos there. So, you know, kind of what I did to take the picture, I'm still really, really novice in learning. Uh, and then I'd also took some Canon's, uh, gives you really good, uh, photo editing software. So I, of course, added some more saturation to the yellows and the reds and the greens and stuff to kind of make the pictures pop. But this was the view kind of looking out over the Valley that they're, they live, uh, near um and that's my favorite there picture of all of them. 
That's Absolute favorite. Yeah. That's their That's driveway like a, coming up to the house. It's like a background photo. It's on my laptop. Good. <laughs> it's on my laptop. So That's yeah, it's one. beautiful. It's beautiful. And then of course there's an ugly podcast Gross. or stuff. Yeah, I know. Sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's my new uh, fun hobby. I'm absolutely loving it. Uh, and soon, hopefully after the first of the year, fairly soon, there will be a new proper permanent studio that I will be using to podcast and stream as well as hopefully get into taking some portraits and stuff like that. So, and of course, as I have learned very quickly, photography is quickly going to get more expensive than podcasting. But anyway, <laughs> that's that. That is that for the fun facts. You know, we've done pretty good tonight, Scott. We're just over an hour. And this is the funnest part of the show for me. Oh, yeah. We've mm-hmm. got merch coming. T-shirts and polos hopefully will be available soon. I have some sample shirts ordered so that we can uh, check the quality as a family first and decide if that's good enough for us to actually offer to the rest of you. We will have three t-shirt colors to begin with, red, black, and Heather red, and then polos will be red only for now. Uh, the guy I was talking to about the t-shirts, he told me he had been having problems with polos, having some bleed through with the uh, screen printing stuff that he uses. So he found a different polo company, he said the one he made for me, just pops. He said, it's absolutely gorgeous. So, uh, don't know the pricing yet. And I don't know for sure when exactly we will be able to release those. So please make sure you're bookmarking our website at genredpod.com. Uh, follow us on all of our social media so that you know when the t-shirts are released and we will do a release video on our YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed there as well. So that's the merch announcement. That's the fun stuff. I can't wait for you guys to see them. They're going to be pretty awesome. And uh, who knows? They may become part of our logo in the near future. So um, I've got some ideas. They're going to be cool. So I've got a green screen I can play with now. Awesome. Awesome, I'm glad. Absolutely. Yeah, I am too. They should be in fairly soon too. Not too much longer. I think I'll get my hands on them about the time of the uh, Illinois game. So um, anyway, as far as following us, you know the drill, folks. You can follow us at GenRedPod on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or go to to GenRedPod.com and click the links at the top of the homepage. You can also use our website to watch and or listen to all of our past shows. And to see any of and all of our future live streams, please make sure you're subscribed to this channel and you ring that bell. Plus, don't forget to hit the like button on everything you watch because it helps other Husker fans find our show. If you prefer your podcast in audio form, instead, this show will be available on your favorite podcast app by 8 a.m. Central Time tomorrow. To subscribe, just search for Generation Red wherever you get your podcasts, and you will get this show as well as every other show we've recorded so far. And do us a favor. Leave us a review and a five-star rating. It helps more people find our show that way as well. That's pretty much it, Scott. Do you have anything you need to add to to that? Uh, Nope. (laughs) Just have some big Mick energy. Coming up here. Big Mick energy. Yes. Let's bring it. Come Saturday night, boys. We're really looking forward to watching them play. Ah, thanks so much for watching, guys. Uh, you know what? 
this show started off small. We started off with maybe a dozen, dozen and a half of downloads every week. Um, and it has grown now to, you know, just under six dozen every week, which thrills me because we're completely privately funded. We're not a part of a network. We're doing all this all by ourselves. To all of you who keep downloading, thank you. To those of you who watch these streams just because you're crazy and you like to watch two guys talk about Husker football, thank you. Please make sure you tell your friends thank about you, us. Uh, share everything and anything. Make sure you smash that like button every time you watch something. And uh, on behalf of Scott and myself, together we're known as Generation Red. And there is absolutely no doubt about it, folks. There is no place like Nebraska. Iowa's corn especially sucks. And <laughs> go Big Red. <laughs>